Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And good Monday evening, National Championship Monday evening here on the Toasted Tavern. I am Wags, joined alongside by Scott Tobin. We are here to bring you all of the Midwest sports action because that's what we do, and there's plenty of stuff to talk about. But before we get there, Scott, I know you were uh, out covering some high school basketball today, and you've been doing that for the last uh, couple of weeks, and you got a lot of big games coming up uh, this week. But who did you see today? Uh, yeah, there was a tournament going on in Washington. I saw Borgia and Lindbergh tonight, so that was uh, what was going on tonight. And uh, there's uh, tons of good games going on out here this weekend. Uh Parkway Central is going to be out here. Pattonville is going to be out here in Washington. Ledoux is out here this week. Um, so, yeah, boys tournament there. I'll also be doing some games over in Union this weekend because there's a girls tournament going on over there. Father Tolton's going to be out here. Jeff City is going to be out here. Um, so, so, yeah, some powerhouses around the state will be in the uh, Franklin County area, boys and girls, this week. So, covering a bunch of those games. Yeah, so a lot of really good action going on in the high school basketball scene here. Uh, and we're also seeing some uh, some local products on the field tonight in the national championship game. Unfortunately, uh, injuries have started to pile up a little bit in that game. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. We'll have updates as that game is at halftime, a 9-6 to Alabama lead. Uh, kind of the game we were expecting it to be despite the uh, – uh, the previous matchup in the SEC championship game being that Alabama blowout, we definitely thought this game was going to be a lot closer, and so far it is. A couple of explosive plays on either side, but no touchdowns scored as of yet as we sit at halftime of this national championship game. But even though that's the big game going on right now, the NFL has absolutely dominated the headlines the last couple of days because, you know, it's it's not just the fact that the playoffs are, are now set, but it is also uh, Black Friday and howdy. Blues fan reacts. Good to hear uh, hear from you tonight. Uh, but it's also Black Black Monday as well. Uh, the regular season ends, and this is when you start to see all the all the coaches get fired and, and all the moves starting to be made. So while it's a, a a joyous time for some because the second season is just getting ready to start, it, it's disappointment and, and bitterness for others as coaches get fired and teams have to uh, reposition themselves once again. Uh, in some cases, very, very recently after they repositioned before. Um, so before we get to the playoffs, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the the changes that have been made in the NFL so far. And it actually didn't start today. It actually started yesterday because you had the two Saturday games, uh, one of those which involved the Denver Broncos. Uh, and they on Sunday let Vic Fangio go after three seasons. <laughs> Uh, three straight losing seasons for Fangio and the Broncos, a 19-30 and 30 record, went 7-10 and 10 this year. Uh, the Broncos have had five straight losing seasons, and, you know, they had the John Elway uh, thing a few years ago, and then they moved him out of that spot, and you were hoping, and as far as Broncos fans were concerned, that maybe this would be the next step into getting them where they needed to go. They've been searching for a, a starting quarterback since Peyton Manning left, and yet nothing has seemed to ha- have been fixed in that time frame, and Vic Fangio is – the, the latest to get his head chopped off in that Vince Joseph was before that. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the, on the Fangio firing? And does that open the door for a guy like Drew Locke to maybe actually grow as a starting quarterback? Or does this throw that position out of whack once again? Uh, I think it throws it out of whack. Um, you know, I think it was pretty safe to say that Fangio was done when he basically came out of the press conference on Saturday and talked about how they didn't have any talent at quarterback to help that team win. Uh, when you throw both of your quarterbacks under the bus like that, uh, the chances of you staying around the organization aren't real good. So I think that was the end of the Vic Fangio days. You know, and like you said, they've just had bad luck. They've tried to draft a couple of quarterbacks. Things haven't worked. I think the I think the book's still out on Drew Locke. I mean, yes, he hasn't been great. But, I mean, you watched him the other night on Saturday. And while his numbers didn't blow you away, he made some plays. I mean, he showed his athleticism. He ran for a couple of touchdowns. He made some throws when he needed to. Um, you know, I think he's a kid that just still hasn't fully developed. I think there's a lot of potential there, but I don't think he's grown the way people expected him to. And, you know, that was my big complaint with him during his days at Mizzou was it seemed like he just never took that next step. And, you know, maybe he's one of those kids that has all the talent and it's never just going to, it's never going to all come together for him, but he's still young enough that, I mean, I think somebody's going to give him another shot. 
Yeah, I think somebody will if it's not with the Broncos, depending on who they bring in there. They've been, you know, talks that they've been talking. They're going to try and talk to a couple of players like or a couple of coaches like uh, enemy out of Kansas City, which seeing a, a guy like that go from a division rival to a division rival, in, in a sense, would be a, a tough thing to, to take if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. But you also can't sit there and continue to you know hold a guy like enemy back because he's a guy that should have been a head coach a couple of years ago and hasn't actually gotten a chance to be in that role. And if, if the only option is Denver, you're going to have to at some point let him go uh, <laughs> to, to be a head coach at, at that point. But, you know, the Broncos after, you know, Peyton Manning was there have really kind of fallen into a mess. You know, John Elway was kind of the, the, the reasoning why Peyton Manning was kind of brought into Denver to kind of win that last, uh, that last championship. But, you know, you've had that meddling going on there. You've had a couple of uh, you know coaches that haven't worked out. And Fangio, his, his defense has not been all that great. And he's a defensive-minded coach. And I think that's the other part of it is that, you know, you didn't get one side of the ball that you were thinking you are going to get and hoping for the other one to rise up. You got just poor efforts on both sides of the ball. And, you know, and then they you know, trade away Von Miller as well to the Rams. So you lose a, a big piece of that defense as well. And it, it did add up to basically be the end of Fangio. And it's not just him. Pat Shermer is the offensive coordinator is out. The special teams coordinator, Tom McMahon, is out as well. So they, they essentially cleaned house at the coaching level on down. But at some point, you have to almost sit back and look back and say, okay, now when is it the GM's time? When is it the president of, uh, of football operations time? Is there a, a timetable where those guys may end up being moved on as well? There is. Uh, you ready for my big conspiracy theory on this whole Denver thing? Oh, here you go. I love it. So Denver hasn't had a quarterback, right, for since Peyton Manning, really. So there's a certain quarterback in Houston that is sitting around, and there were two teams that he really wanted to go to, talked about a lot. One of them was Denver. The other one was Miami. And the big reason that he wanted to go to Miami was because he wanted to play for a certain head coach in Miami who also got fired today. Surprisingly. S- so, would it shock me to see him take a job in Denver and then a trade happen and Deshaun Watson end up being the quarterback in Denver? I think I think you can draw a big puzzle and circle those two people and say there's a huge chance that that's where those two guys end up next year. That could be uh, the perfect scenario for them. I mean... You know, Brian Flores, like you said, was let go in Miami today. That one was a, a, a huge shock to me uh, in a sense because, you know, this is the guy that in his three seasons, he's had two winning seasons. He's one game under 500. He's four and two against Bill Belichick. He's uh, took his team on an eight and one run to end the season. Yes, they had a seven game losing streak to begin the year to at the start of the year. So he had to combat that. But the fact that he got his team after that seven game losing streak to come together and run off seven straight and finish off eight and one. Very, very surprising to me that Brian Flores got let go because the, the whole impetus behind it was the, the culture. And that was the reason that they said that they fired him was that the culture was not where they wanted it to be. He went through a bunch of offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, four offensive line coaches in his time uh, as the head coach of Miami. And it just seemed like, you know, the, the, the team didn't gel. But when you look at it, how do you sit there and say the team didn't gel when you had an off injured quarterback in there and yet you were still able to run off a streak of seven straight and wrap up a season eight and one after starting one and seven? If that doesn't tell me you're building a culture, what does culture mean? Well, tell me if you've heard this before. The official word out of Miami is he was fired because of fundamental differences. Where have we heard that before? Hmm. Very recently here, I think. Yeah. With a coach who seemed to be doing okay. So, and yeah. I mean, the, and almost one manager of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Flores actually has a better record than Bill Belichick over the last three years. You know, so you can't say that he's done a horrible job in Miami. You know, he's he's put some things together. So, yeah, I think he's going to – I don't think he's going to be unemployed very long. And like I said, it wouldn't shock me at all to see him end up being the new head coach of the Denver Broncos with a shiny new quarterback. Well – Partially shiny because there's still some shade there, but, you know. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Now, we talked about the fact that, you know, Denver has hired defensive coordinator, defensive-minded coaches in the past, and Flores is definitely a defensive-minded coach. Is that something that they may – I mean, even if – I mean, you can't make the promise that, you know, Deshaun Watson's going to go there if Flores goes there or vice versa. 
you know, do they take that risk of bringing in another defensive minded kind of coach with the hope of being able to bring in Deshaun Watson? Because like you said, it's a trade that's going to have to happen. It's not a free agent move where you can sit there and say, okay, you bring in Flores, I'm signing with you. You still have to facilitate a deal with the Texans. So, I mean, do they run that risk of bringing in a defensive minded coach in the hopes that a guy like Deshaun Watson is going to be able to get there? Well, you know, maybe you work that, maybe you get the, details of the Deshaun trade worked out first potentially you know or you know I mean there's ways to make that work and you know have a pretty good idea if you could get those things together and then you know a big part of it too is you're gonna you're gonna have a defensive minded coach so you need to bring in an offensive minded quarterback coach or offensive coordinator now who do we know that has ties to the Broncos that's a pretty good quarterback that loves football loves to talk football maybe analyzes football on TV with his brother that could come in and be the offensive coordinator and help Deshaun Watson become a superstar. Ooh. Do you, now here's the question though. Here's the question though. Does Peyton Manning want to take what he's give up what he's already gotten? Because if he goes to be the offensive coordinator and things and they struggle and Watson struggles, they don't win that tarnishes what he's got. But right now everybody loves Peyton Manning. I mean, everybody, even if he's even if he's terrible on TV, people love Peyton Manning. But if he goes to Denver as the offensive coordinator and struggles, whether he struggles or the team struggles, is that something he wants to risk at this point in, in, in his career right now? Because his his stock is only rising at this moment. I don't think anything can hurt Peyton. You know, I mean, you know, if Peyton struggles, then he'll go do a TV show or Saturday Night Live and make fun of himself struggling as an offensive coordinator in a skit and everybody would be like, oh, Peyton's so funny. We love him. You know, I, I don't think there's anything that Peyton can do, honestly, that could hurt his reputation. Oh, then if that's the case and he wants to do it, I don't see why that's not something that the, the Broncos would entertain because, I mean, I could, I could see Peyton being a head coach one day if he really, really wanted to. I mean, he's um, talked about it. You know, he's definitely talked about the fact that he would like to get into coaching or management at some point down the line. So, you know, and with his ties to the Broncos, with his connection to John Elway, who still has a whole lot of influence with the Broncos, um, I can definitely see that being something that potentially could happen. Again, it would come down to, like you said, how much does Peyton want to do it and how much money are the Broncos willing to pay him because he's making a ton of money at ESPN right now. But, again, knowing Peyton's love of football, I can definitely see him coming back and doing something like that. Yeah, it'd again, be a hard thing all- to turn down. Yeah, again, all big conspiracy theory. I'm putting all the little pieces together. Well, it's the NFL and conspiracy theories, that that just doesn't mesh. I mean, it's not no, like huh. they've ever tried to hide things or go or circumvent things no. or or you know move things from here to there without really having a reason in stone for it. I mean, come on, that's that's not the NFL conspiracy theories. Psh, come on now. <laughs> no, I know, right? Uh, oh. that's, I can't even believe I would bring something like that up. Why would you tarnish the NFL's, you know, reputation by their by glowing even... reputation? Yes, come on. Uh, speak, speaking of glowing reputations, I guess uh, more more firings that went down in the NFL today. Um, well, let's talk first about the uh, the Minnesota Vikings uh, because th- this was one that I think maybe a lot of people saw coming, but still was a, a bit of a surprise because this team has been successful. In his tenure, Mike Zimmer with the Vikings was let go today, as well as the GM, Rick Spielman. They've missed the playoffs the last two seasons, but he's 72-56-1 in his time in Minnesota. Three playoff appearances, one NFC Championship game that they, uh, you know, that they made it to and you know, lost a little controversially. Uh, but Zimmer's been successful there. Is it just a matter in this case that they just didn't get far enough, like, Success only got his success only got him so far, but they need someone to take them to the next level because they have some talent. Now the defense has struggled mightily this year. They spent a ton of money on the defensive side of the ball this year, and one of the worst ranked defensive teams in the league. And that's that's why Spielman's out because his drafts haven't been great the the last couple of years, and they spent a whole bunch of money on defense, and it was terrible this year. But I'm a little surprised at Zimmer being let go, but I get it because. He, he got them close to the mountaintop, but hasn't gotten them there just yet. And I feel like that's the, the their thought process. The Wills are like, hey, you got us as far as you're going to be able to take us. Now we got to find someone that's going to really push us over the top. Yeah, I mean, I think they look around and see all the talent they have on offense and say, okay, why aren't we doing better? 
like you said, the defense is dreadfully underperformed this year. You know, their defense had been really good the last couple of years going into this year. So I think they look around and say, okay, we've got a ton of talent. We should be better than this. But I don't, again, I don't think Zimmer will be, I don't think it will be very long before he has another job, whether it's as a head coach or if somebody brings him in as a coordinator for a year or something, and then he takes a head coaching job, but he won't be unemployed for very long. No, I definitely don't think so either. Like I said, the success that he's had there, he was with Minnesota since 2014. So one of the longer tenured coaches in the NFL. Uh, And then one of the shorter tenured coaches in the NFL. And the the one that we all knew was going to be fired as soon as, you know, November rolled around was Matt Nagy in Chicago. Not only him, but Ryan Pace was also let go as the GM of the Bears. Uh, The team has been an absolute mess the last couple of years, you know, and Nagy won coach of the year in 2018. It was 12 and four season. Mitchell Trubisky, they, they, I guess, exceeded expectations because you really weren't sure what you were going to get out of that team. But since then, it, it's just kind of gone downhill. A couple of back-to-back 8-8 eight and eight seasons, 6-11 and 11 this year. They had the quarterback change moving on from Trubisky, and now Justin Fields is there. Um, but Nagy's been on that hot seat since about November. There was rumors he was going to be fired right around Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, the owners came out and said, no, that's not going to be the case. But as of today, he was let go. Ryan Pace was let go as well. That you know, the moves that they have been making these last couple of years, you know, fans in Chicago are just they're done with it. And and now they're hoping that, you know, Bill Polian is gonna come in and help them get the right guys in place. And uh, it's not even just those two that are let go as well. They reassigned Ted Phillips too, president of football operations. He's gonna be part of the search committee for the coach and the GM, but he's not gonna be a part of football operations anymore. GM's gonna report directly to the owners which is another thing Chicago fans have been clamoring for for the last couple of years. So, I mean, it it seems like the regime change was needed, and it feels like the Bears' leadership has done exactly what needs to be done. They've moved the obstacles out of the way, and if they can get the right football minds in those two spots, yeah, they may have to go out and get another quarterback, but it might be setting up for the next couple of years that Bears fans might be okay in about three or four years. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's still, still too early to know what Justin Fields is. You know, there's so many questions there. And then, you know, the Bears just have nothing on offense. I mean, it's going to take a couple of years, even if Fields is your quarterback, it's going to take a couple of years to field a decent offense around him to make it work. And you've got to get the head coach, right? You know, who are they going to bring in there? You know, Bill O'Brien's name has come up a couple yeah. of times in the last few hours. I mean, I think Bill O'Brien's a good coach, don't get me wrong. Don't give him the power to be general manager because we see what happens there. But just as a coach, I think he would be okay. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Jim Harbaugh takes that job. You know, there's a lot, you know, with his ties to Chicago and the Bears and everything, Harbaugh could come back. Um, it's going to be really interesting. But you talk about the Bears and you talk about a couple of years ago. Just think – what one football dinking off upright, the difference it makes. Think of Cody Parkey makes that field goal. You knock Nick Foles and the Eagles out of the playoffs. The Bears keep going. Trubisky's a hero in Chicago. You're playing at least in the you're playing in at least the divisional round, if not the NFC championship game. You know, Mitch Trubisky could still be in Chicago. The Bears, who knows what happens if Cody Parkey doesn't doink that kick. Oh, Chicago fans have just collapsed once again hearing this. <laughs> yes. The double doink, uh, yeah, that 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 really did change the course of, of the Bears franchise, uh, at least in the short term, uh, was missing that field goal and, and then going to see Nick Foles leading the Eagles to the Super Bowl that year. And it, 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 it's a hard thing to be a Bears fan right now because, like you said, they haven't, they haven't found anything offensively to really, you know, make hay about. I mean, you've had – moments here and there you've had players here and there i mean alan robinson was a, a stud last year this year not so much and granted the quarterback issues this year didn't really allow him to flourish i know injuries have also played a part in it as well uh, but then you got i mean defense has played well this year robert quinn right up there set the sack record for uh the, for the franchise this year the defense has been pretty good now you just need to find something to balance that with offense and I don't know if it's that they've just ignored it or they just have drafted and signed poorly because I, I, I honestly don't even know who they drafted outside of Justin Fields. And I don't think I, I don't remember who they signed big names to even come in and fill some of those roles. It feels like they're, 
they're really trying to like shoehorn in third, fourth, fifth round picks into every single position on offense. Well, and you know, they've had to trade up to get a quarterback twice now in the last four years. Um, no, you're right. They have, you know, they've tried to draft wide receivers. They drafted Kevin White out of West Virginia a few years ago with an early pick. He was a bust. There was another wide receiver that they drafted that was a bust. I mean, when you think about it, when it was the last Bears wide receiver that they drafted that came out and was a stud, it was probably Brandon Marshall. Yeah. And how long ago has that been? 15 years? Um, you know, so, you know, they just have not had good luck. You know, a couple of the guys they drafted didn't do well in Chicago, went other places, and Alshon Jeffries was a Bears draft pick. You know, didn't do much in Chicago, went to Philadelphia, had some good years. Um, so, you know, they just have not had good luck when they've drafted wide receivers. Same thing with running backs. You know, they haven't had – you know, they just have not had a lot of success. And, you know, in their defense, you know, Robert Quinn – and people in Chicago were wanting to run Robert Quinn out of town before the season started because yeah. he was hurt last year. You know, and Robert Quinn's not a kid anymore. I mean, think about all the years he had in St. Louis with the St. Louis Rams when he was at the top of the sacks charts. You know, but they've also had problems there. Khalil Mack has not been the same guy the last couple of years that they traded for. So, you know, things just have just not worked out in Chicago. Hopefully they can start to turn things around. And whoever this head coach and GM is, I hope as, a, as somebody who has been a Bears fan, you know, my still I still say to this day my favorite football team, is, was, and always will be the 85 Bears. Um, you know, I hope that uh, I hope that they do get it turned around because there are some long-suffering Bears fans in Chicago. It's been a while since they've had the Monsters of the Midway. Very, very true. And you talked about the fact that they had to trade a bunch of picks and stuff to, to get two quarterbacks. They also traded a bunch of picks to bring in Khalil Mack, and that was a, a big question mark for them when that deal was made was, you know, at the time they made that trade, they didn't have a quarterback then either. So people were wondering, well, how do you go out and, and make this deal to bring in a guy like Mac to really solidify a defense, but then not have a quarterback. And then on the flip side, now you go out and trade a bunch of picks for two quarterbacks and you still are in the same boat you were when you made all of those trades. You have no quarterback that you're, you're confident in yet. The, the defense is okay, but injuries have derailed them. I mean, and and then you have no draft picks to, to even improve on some of the areas that you could use to help these other guys as well. So, you know, that that's where, you know, bringing in the right general manager mind is going to be very, very crucial for the Bears because they're going to have to start recouping things and making smart picks with the later picks that they do have. Uh, and, and Bears fans, I know it's, it's a hard thing to do. It really, really is because you have waited for so long. It's been very, very tough these last, you know, odd number of years, but it's going to take another couple of years to get there and, and you got to be patient. And, and I know that's saying that's some, that's coming from a guy that's seen two football teams ripped from, from his city. Uh, so you got to be patient, but if they get the right football minds in there, I think, like I said, next three, four years, the bears could be back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Jumping topic just for a second. You talk about Khalil Mack and the trade that they made. How do you not give a ton of credit to the Las Vegas Raiders for everything that team went through and how the game they went through last night to find a way to pull that through and make it through the playoffs? I mean, I don't know that there's a team that can have as much turmoil during a season as that team did this year with the Gruden thing and then the Ruggs thing happening and everything that they went through and to still find a way to make it to the playoffs. you got to give – you got to give that team a whole heck of a lot of credit. You do, and sometimes those uh, trials bring you closer together and and help really form a team. And I'm not going to sit there and say that they're about ready to go on a run to take them to the Super Bowl, but the fact that they didn't give up, the fact that they continued to push forward, continued to win games, continued to win games that mattered. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I think last night, if, if the Chargers don't call that timeout, that game ended a tie and both teams are going to the playoffs. Uh, but – once once uh, the Chargers took that timeout, it, it felt like the, the Raiders were like, you know what? No, let's let's go out and win this. I don't I don't want to settle for for a tie and and get into the playoffs with them. I I want to take this away from somebody. And you started to get well, some of that old Raiders feel. Well, and you know how dumb was that on the Chargers' part to call that timeout? Terrible. With that, I mean, you, you know, everybody's like, oh, they're playing for the tie. The rivalry between the Raiders and the Chargers over the years. You don't think the Raiders, Raiders Nation was going crazy knowing that they had a chance with two seconds left in that game to knock the Chargers out of the playoffs? 
I mean, the only thing that would have been better for them would have been if it would have been the Chiefs, um, you know, that they were knocking out of the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be an easy road. No, they got to go play Cincinnati. But, you know, you get in the playoffs, and that Raiders team has some talent. If the defense plays like they did last night, you know, they can step up. And, you know, Derek Carr doesn't get enough credit. He's a good quarterback. He is. He really is. And he's he's definitely not uh... – you know, his brother got about the short end of the stick being drafted by Houston and not having much around him. But uh, but Derek Carr has done an amazing job in, in Vegas. And he also, at some points in his career, has not had the talent around him. Uh, but, you know, they got uh, Josh Jacobs there. They've got uh, a couple other great players in, in that area. They've got uh, Hunter Renfro, who's had an amazing season this year, over 1,000 yards receiving, nine touchdowns. Uh, they've done They've done a lot with a little. And that's really what's gotten them into the playoff picture. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and flip uh, from the head coaching stuff to the playoff picture. We'll start in the AFC first off. As you see the bracket up on the screen now, you know, you've got the, the Titans at the number one seed. They get the bye uh, as a uh, benefit of their win yesterday against Houston, a game that was a lot closer than it should have been. They were up big and Houston inched their way back into it. But then uh, you've got the, the Chiefs and the Steelers, the Bills and the Patriots and the Bengals and the Raiders. Uh, let's start with that Bengals-Raiders game because that one is uh, a very, very intriguing one to me because, first off, uh, it's quietly the Raiders are 10-7. and 7. I didn't realize that they were actually 10-7. and 7. The Bengals, 10-7 and 7 as well. Uh, Joe Burrow had an amazing season this year, 4,600-plus passing yards, 34 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. Jamar Chase, I mean, what else can you say about him? The dude has just been electric this year. They got Joe Mixon back there with over 1,200 yards rushing. Uh, the Bengals did defeat the Raiders 32-13 back on November 21st. Uh, but once again, just like every one of these uh, games that are rematches, that was a while ago. And both teams have have definitely changed in that time frame. So uh, when you're when you're talking about that uh, Bengals-Raiders game, what, what are you really looking for in this matchup? Is it is it about defenses on both sides? Is it about a certain offensive player? Or, or what are you looking for in this one? Yeah, I mean, you it's going to come down to the Raiders' defense. You know, can you get enough pressure on Burrow? Can you disrupt him? Can you not give him time to set up and throw? Because, you know, you talk about Jamar Chase, you got to remember that T. Higgins is on the other side as a wide receiver. He's had a monster year, too, and is a stud. So, I mean, they, their defense has got to get pressure on Burrow. You know, you got to make him uncomfortable in the pocket because the Bengals' offensive line is not good. I mean, Joe Burrow. It's even more impressive that he's put up the numbers he had this year because he's run for his life all year long because that offensive line is awful. Um, so, you know, that's what it's going to come down to. Can the Raiders disrupt him? Can they cause problems on that on that offensive line and disrupt that offense? If not, the Bengals could potentially put up a lot of points. Um, the Raiders definitely don't have the weapons to, you know, have a track meet. To, you know, Raiders aren't going to win a 38-35 game. You know, they needed to be in the 20s to win that game. Um, so it's going to come down to the Raiders' defense for the most part, and then you know see what the Bengals see what the Bengals' inf- offense is able to do. If these young kids, you know, it's going to be their first. It's a home game, which will be good, but it's their first playoff game. You know, sometimes kids, you know, those big moments. You know, obviously, Joe, all of those guys, you know, Higgins and Clemens, at Clemson and Burrow and Chase and LSU, they've played in big games in college, but you know, this is another level, even on top of that. So we'll see how they respond to that. So, you know, those would be the things I'm looking for in that one. Yeah, I think you're right. If, if the, the Raiders are able to contain the Bengals offense and, and really limit their scoring opportunities, it definitely sets up more for, for Las Vegas for sure. But I, I tell you what, just the explosiveness of that Bengals offense, like you mentioned, it, it's not just Chase. It's not just mixing. You've got Higgins. You've got other factors that are able to you know, hurt you. So, if you're the Raiders and you stop one, you still got two or three other guys to worry about. And that's, and that's the thing that I think will eventually be the, uh, the key to that game is, is the the secondary figures in that Bengals offense. And that's the early game on Saturday. Then the, the late game on Saturday is the rubber match between the Patriots and the bills. New England won that uh, wind filled game in Buffalo, 14 to 10 uh, Buffalo came back and beat new England a couple weeks later in Foxborough ended up winning the AFC East as well. It's just another instance of contrasting styles in a sense, you know, Josh Allen is throwing the ball all over the yard. 
Mac Jones is being methodical, Tom Brady-esque in a sense, really fitting into that Patriots mold. Uh, you've got Damian Harris, who has, has quietly had a very, very solid year for the Patriots at the running back position, 15 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, that was a bit of a surprising stat for me was seeing that they were able to do that uh, on the ground with Harris, uh, considering they also have bounced around between a bunch of different running backs this year. Uh, the wide receiver core, a couple of 800-plus yard receivers in Myers and Bourne. Uh, this this is uh, this is going to be a game. Uh, I think this probably is one of the best matchups of of the Super Wild Card weekend. I think all the games are going to be great, but definitely this is the one that I'll be watching because it's going to be Bill Belichick in the playoffs. What are you going to see out of the Patriots, and, and what are they going to do to try and confound Josh Allen and really disrupt him in this game? Yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, Allen had a pretty good game in that second ma matchup against them, put up some pretty good numbers. Um, I, I think Buffalo is going to win. I honestly don't think this one's going to be as close. I think they're going to win pretty handily, honestly, because I don't think, you know, if if the weather conditions are okay, and yeah, the Patriots' defense is good, but I don't think they're good enough to stop that Buffalo passing attack if Allen's on point. I think they, and, you know, they obviously can't. The Patriots don't have the weapons again to be in a high scoring shootout with Buffalo. So I think, I think if uh, the offensive line in Buffalo holds up, I think if they can run the ball a little bit, you know, you can't be completely one dimensional. You've got to be able to run the ball a little bit, but if they can run the ball a little bit, I think Allen's arm will be the difference. And I think Buffalo is going to win by 10 or 12 points, honestly. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, I can see that definitely being the case. Um, I, I think for some reason I, I'm still, buying into the Patriots playoff magic. And I think it's going to be a little bit closer than, than it, than it probably should be. I think the, I think the bills should blow them out. I really, really do. Especially the confidence that they gained of going into Foxborough and blowing them out there just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'd like to think that that's something that they're going to be able to carry over, but until someone breaks that mystique of the Patriots in the playoffs, it, it's a hard one to overlook. So we'll see how that plays out. Then uh, the other AFC game that you got is the, the late game on Sunday. And that's the uh, the Chiefs hosting the Steelers, who snuck in there on the last day, sweated out that overtime game between the Chargers and Raiders. Big Ben's going to get one more game at least in the playoffs in his career, uh, and it will be at Arrowhead on Sunday night. Chiefs just recently, day after Christmas, beat the Steelers 36-10. Not even a really close game in that matchup. Um, for, for me, looking at this game, it, it's really going to come down to which Chiefs defense are we going to see. You know, they started off a little slow. They had a really good run there in the middle of the season. Have kind of slipped a little bit the last couple of weeks, especially that loss uh, at the very end of the season. Um, it, it's going to be the Chiefs defense versus whatever magic Big Ben has left in the tank. Um, and whichever one <clears throat> comes out <coughs> large is going to be the one that wins. Yeah, I think the Chiefs – to me, it's going to come down to the Chiefs offensive line, um, you know, We've seen what happens when Patrick Mahomes gets a lot of pressure. You got to keep TJ Watt out of the backfield. You got to keep Cam Hayward out of the backfield. You know, you've got to keep Patrick Mahomes upright. If you can do that, the Chiefs should be able to win this game pretty handily. If Pittsburgh's defense is able to be disruptive, then you just never know because, you know, we've seen Ben win more than a few games in the postseason that he had no business winning. You know, the Steelers know how to play in big games. So, them so you know it's just going to come down to how the Chiefs offensive line holds up I mean if the Chiefs offensive line holds up and Mahomes has time to throw the Chiefs should win pretty easily but if the offensive line you know the Chiefs have some injuries on that offensive line again going into the postseason so if that offensive line springs a leak then you know we've seen the Chiefs offense sputter you know so it, it could be it should be a blowout, but it could be really close. And, you know, like I said, Steelers know how to win big games like this on the road. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, if, they, if the Steelers are able to keep it close, um, that, that's a scary proposition for Chiefs fans. You know, if it's a 10-7 game late in the second quarter, uh, or even a 10-3 game in that second quarter, you, you as a Chiefs fan have to be worried. Uh, the running backs are also going to be key for me in this game. Daryl Williams has come on strong. Uh, as of late in, in replace of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's had to deal with injuries this year. And Najee Harris has quietly had a big season, 1,200 yards rushing, seven touchdowns. I mean, that, that Steelers rushing attack has not been good the last couple of years. And I wouldn't even say this year has it has been good. But 
Harris has gotten the tough yards. He's really kind of driven that offense the last couple of weeks and, and almost carried them, really, because you look at the receiving core, uh, there hasn't been much in, in the receiving game for sure. So it's been a Harris kind of led offense the last couple of weeks. And, you know, if they're able to lean on him and get him going, that's another piece that, as a Chiefs fan, I would definitely be worried about. If you see Harris getting touches in the second quarter and into the third quarter regularly, um, that means the Steelers are either close or leading that game, and I would be worried. Yeah, uh, you know, it, like I said, it could be a good game, and you have to worry about health, health as well. Yeah. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey both a little banged up in the game on Sunday, so we'll see how close to 100% those two guys are. And you know, the weather in Kansas City could be interesting too, because there's been some talk that there could be some rain or even some snow showers potentially Sunday night. So we'll see what I see what happens. Yes, that we will. And now flipping over to the NFC, we've got that bracket up on the screen now. Packers, the number one seed, obviously, 13-4 and four this year. Uh, the Bucks, the other 13-4 and four team, finished in the second seed. They're going to be playing the Eagles. you got the Cowboys and Niners and the Rams and Cardinals. Big, big, big games there. There's a lot of history in a couple of those games as well. We'll start with the Eagles and Bucks because that's the early game on Sunday. Uh, the, the Buccaneers defeated the Eagles 28-22 back on October 14th. The game was a lot closer than it probably should have been at the time, but both teams dealing with injuries throughout the most part. That's the game that Richard Sherman ended up leaving, uh, and he hasn't played since. The uh, The back end of that Bucks secondary was decimated in that game. Uh, but they've gone on and, and done well for themselves this year. Now, uh, Godwin done for the year, obviously, with the ACL injury. Uh, it's going to be up to Mike Evans and Gronkowski to lead the way. Are they going to be able to do that? Um, that's going to be a real interesting uh, question there. Obviously, no Antonio Brown didn't really think he was going to do much anyway. Um, you got the Eagles who have won five straight, though. And, yes, a lot of that's against middling and, and poor teams, especially in the NFC East. Uh, but they, they've got the momentum a little bit. I mean, I know the Bucs have, have won as well, but five straight for the Eagles in a playoff situation they they've had to win those games to get into the playoffs that's got to give them something and then you've got Devonta Smith a 900 plus receiving yards five touchdowns a guy coming off of a national championship Jalen Hurts is another guy that has that national championship pedigree um I'm, I'm not going to sit there and say I, I was going to do like I did last year I picked the I picked Washington football team to beat the Buccaneers last year and that defense was phenomenal um, I don't know if I'm going to go that far because I don't think the Eagles defense is as good as the Washington football team defense, but this is a game to bear watching because the Eagles knew they could play with them close. They showed that they can play them close. And I remember talking last week about the fact that if there was a team in the NFC that could be scary, a dark horse team, it's the Eagles. And if they somehow upset the Buccaneers, that could put them on a run to an NFC championship game that a lot of people didn't expect uh, them to even be sniffing. Nope, I totally agree. Um, you know, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to compare this game to that Washington-Tampa game last year. I think I think it can be that same kind of game. I'm with you, though. I picked Washington to upset them last year. I don't think Philadelphia does it, but I think the game's close. I think I think they're in it into the fourth quarter. I think Tampa does find a way to win, and you know, but Tampa's going to have to have somebody step up. Scotty Miller's going to have to make some big plays like he did a couple of years ago when they were in the playoffs. Um, they're going to have to have some surprise plays like that come up and make big plays um, because people are going to be doubling Gronk and, and Mike Evans. So Miller, some of those other weapons, you know, you're not going to have Leonard Fournette or at least probably not a completely healthy Leonard Fournette if he's able to play. So some other guys are going to have to step up and make plays for Tampa. But I think Philly's in that game, and I think it's going to be a really good game. Yeah, uh, a good way to start off the Sunday because then the next game is – the uh, rekindling of a 90s rivalry, um, the 49ers at the Cowboys. And that, now it doesn't have the same luster as the Steve Young, Troy Aikman days back in the 90s when they went to a couple of NFC championship games against each other. Uh, it is the first playoff meeting since 94, the 94 NFC championship game, by the way. Um, and the Cowboys have dominated this series since really the 2000s. They've gone seven and three in those matchups. They haven't played each other a whole bunch, obviously. Just 10 times in that time frame. Uh, but the Cowboys have won seven of those matchups. And, you know, they, they've got a team. The Cowboys have a team that can that can go all the way this year. And and I'm saying that on paper. And I, I know you're shaking your head. I know you've made the argument, and we've seen it the last couple of weeks. Dak Prescott has had a great year. 4,400-plus yards passing, 37 touchdowns, just 10 interceptions. 
But we've seen it the last couple of weeks, not being able to step up for those big games and win them. You can put up great numbers, but if you're not winning games, it's not going to matter. I mean, you talk about what the, the previous quarterback did there, Tony Romo. Great numbers, could not win the big games. You're seeing the same sort of thing with Dak Prescott. Now, the 49ers are a team that, you know, they've got Debo Samuel. He's been phenomenal. He's got over 1,700 yards of total offense on the ground and through the air, 11 total touchdowns. He's kind of the only offensive threat in San Francisco. Jimmy G has been up and down this year. So it's not like the 49ers are a team that's going to be like, oh, Dak can, can if Dak struggles, this game's over. Dak can struggle and the Cowboys can still win this game because of the offensive talent that they have around them. But this is a game where if the Cowboys lose, you you have to sit there and really question if Dak Prescott is your quarterback next year. Yeah. And I don't think it's – and this kills me because I have disliked the 49ers for a long time and was a huge Cowboy fan. I don't think the Cowboys have a chance of winning this game. Wow. Don't think, I don't think they have a chance of winning this game. I think San Francisco goes in there and beats them pretty easily, honestly. And why is that? Is it because of the rushing attack? Is it just because of the mind games? I mean, what what is it about this this uh, this 49ers team that makes you sit, say that it's so easy? I think Debo, Debo Samuel is going to run all over him. Running the ball, catching the ball, I think he's just going to beat him. And Jimmy, what you just talked about with Dak, I think we've seen, even though he's been up and down, it seems like when the lights shine the brightest, Jimmy Garoppolo steps up. You know, and whether that's being tutored by Tom Brady in New England early in his career or whatever, but when the lights shine the brightest, he seems to play his best. You just look what he did like yesterday. You know, they were down. You know, he drove them 80 yards in under two minutes with no timeouts left to tie that game. You know, I mean, he made some huge throws all day, um, and he's done it before. You know, he led this. He led them to the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, I think I think that team with Shanahan, I think they're going to have a game plan. I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to ground and pound the ball. They're going to keep the ball away from Prescott. They're probably going to dink and dunk and run a lot, keep the ball out of Dallas's hands. And like I said, I don't trust Dak. I expect him to make a couple of huge mistakes trying to force the ball downfield. Um, you know, and then you don't know what you're going to get from Zeke. He could be good. He could do nothing, you know, and – I don't trust that Dallas defense. So I think San Francisco wins, and I think they win probably – I would say they win by double digits. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, it's, it's the 4-5 or five matchup, so it's not like that's out of the question. It's not a not a huge upset if that were to be – is it the 4-5 or five matchup? I, I think I'm wrong. It's a 3-6 matchup. I apologize. So, I mean, but 12-5 and five for the Cowboys, 10-7 and seven for, the, for the Niners. I mean, it, it's, it's like splitting hairs, and the fact that the Cowboys played in the East probably only makes it mean they only – technically won nine games because you know each so, of those wins in the east counts as half so how many wins do the cowboys have 12 so so they were 12 and they were 12 and 5 yep they were 6 and 0 in the east which means they were 6 and 5 against the rest of the nfl yeah, so that, that, that tells you right, right there. there they're not a very good football team that tells you exactly right there yeah i mean yeah, that's why you can't look strictly at records. I mean, you have to look at at more than that. You have to look at gameplay. You have to look at who they played and, and all that as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's not. A, it wouldn't be a surprise if the 49ers win this game. It really w- would not. And like you said, they, we saw this in, in that game against Green Bay a couple years ago uh, when Jimmy G did, I think, what, through a, just a couple of passes in that first half, if not the entire game, and they ended up winning that game. I, I could see that being the same sort of scenario here where – you know, you do what gets you the win, and, and you give the ball to Samuel any way you can, handing it off, dumping it off, hitting him downfield, whatever you need to do. You get him the ball, let him do his work, and and that, like you said, outside of uh, outside of the, that cornerback in, in Dallas, there, there's not much defensive capabilities uh, in Dallas. So he he can run all over the yard and and set the 49ers up for for days. Yeah, yeah, it, it's gonna be interesting, but I, I, like I said, I think. I think we see an upset there. I could see that being the case. Well, and then Monday you've got the uh, the rubber match between the Arizona Cardinals and the L.A. Rams. Uh, the, the Cardinals a 37-20 victory earlier in the season. The Rams a 30-23 later on. Uh, and it's really just a tale of two teams. Uh, you, you talk about how hot the Cowboys uh, were in the NFC East. The, the Cardinals were hot to start the season. They were beating teams left and right. They were the lone undefeated team, uh, the last undefeated team to lose. Uh, but it's really been a tale of two teams the last six games. The the Rams are five and one in their last six. 
Cardinals just two and four. And yes, they've been hit hard by injuries. DeAndre Hopkins has been in and out of the lineup. James Conner has missed a bunch of games. Kyler Murray was out, uh, but they were winning when Kyler Murray and, and uh, DeAndre Hopkins were out. They haven't been winning the last couple of weeks. And I, I think once again, you're seeing a team that is in a spot where they're good, but they haven't learned how to win yet. And they're going to suffer a big time defeat probably on Monday. And it's going to set people back this year thinking, oh, maybe they weren't as good as they were. But definitely will be a game that they'll look at and, and build on next year. Um, but that's if Matthew Stafford shows up for the Rams. He hasn't been all that great the last couple of games either. Yes, you've got the, the, the top wide receiver in Cooper Cup. He's the triple crown winner at the wide receiver position. But if Matthew Stafford is inaccurate, that's not going to do a whole lot of good for the Rams. And uh, I just want to interrupt here real quick as uh, Georgia has just now scored a touchdown to take the lead against Alabama in the third quarter, about a minute 20 or so to go in the third. Uh, they just take the, the the touchdown to go up 12 to nine extra point ensuing. Uh, so we got uh, we got ourselves a matchup game going on right now over in Indianapolis. But let's get back to this game uh, between Arizona and L.A. You know, really, what's your take on this? I mean, are the Arizona Cardinals going to be able to bounce back and show us the team that they were at the beginning of the year? Or is Matthew Stafford going to get right and actually be able to show what he can do in the playoffs because he's not really been there? Uh, you, you ready for my prediction? Uh, a tie. No. Uh, another upset. Arizona goes into L.A. Arizona's been way better on the road all year long than they've yeah. been at home. They're going to go into L.A. and they're going to beat the Rams. And, again, it's not going to be real close. They're going to go in. The, the Rams are not that good either. Um, you talk about the Matthew Stafford is going to make some mistakes. You know, he does quite often. He's going to throw an interception or two. And that Rams defense is not that good. They, they're in Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Other than that, that defense is pretty weak. Um, DeAndre Hopkins – James Conner, both expected to play on Sunday, on Monday. They got J.J. Watt back yesterday. He looked pretty good in that game yesterday. I think Arizona goes in there, and I think they beat the Rams. <laughs> Sorry, Stanley. Um, I think they go in and beat the Rams pretty easily, honestly. I really do. I think uh, I think you're going to see Kyler Murray have a really good game. I think they're going to have a good game plan. And uh, I think A.J. Green has a big game. So I, I think – AJ Green, I think Zach Ertz has some big catches. Another guy who's played in some big games in his career in Philadelphia. So I think this team goes in. JJ Watt's going to have him fired up, being able to play in a playoff game again. I think this team goes in there, and I think they beat the Rams. I really do. I think it wouldn't shock me at all if we see all three of the favorites in the NFC lose this weekend. I think I think Tampa wins, but I think it's close. But I think. I think we see Dallas and the Rams both lose, and I think the road teams win, like I said, double digits both places. Well, if the Cardinals are able to do what the, the 49ers did this past week and either fill the, the stadium in L.A. With, with their own fans or find some way to <clears throat> get the Rams to pump more music and, and crowd noise in there, because, I mean, you heard about that, right? Like, the Rams were having issues communicating at their own field. So if the well, Cardinals well, yeah. are able to take advantage of that, yeah, I mean, yeah, when your quarterback comes out and says, you know, we were having a hard time communicating, that was really tough. In your home stadium, you've, you've got a serious problem. You know, and that's only a couple-hour trip from – it's not much closer – it's not much farther from Glendale to L.A. than it is from San Francisco. So don't be shocked if there's not a ton of red in that stadium again. And, and Kroenke doesn't care if there's more Rams fans than Cardinals. As long as he's making money, that's all he's worried about. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's going to be loud. I think there's going to be more Cardinal fans than Rams fans. And like I said, the Cardinals have played better on the road than they have at home all year. They have a way better road record. So I think Arizona goes in there. I think they're comfortable, and I think they beat the Rams. And I will be happy. The uh, battle, the battle of St. Louis, going on in LA on Monday night. Monday night, and we're rooting for the Cardinals for sure. We're definitely rooting for the Cardinals. So we'll hope to have that be a, an upset victory for them as well. And uh, lots of lots of great action going on uh, this weekend. Super wild card weekend. Make sure you check out all of the games there. Uh, I want to touch on the uh, college football game or college football scene real quick before we jump to the NHL to talk a little bit about the Blues. 
Uh, obviously, the national championship game going on right now, 13 to 9, Georgia leading that game at the end of the third quarter, although there's a Bulldog player down as we go to commercial. And uh, Bryce Young also holding his arm or his wrist as well, possibly his finger uh, as uh, we go to commercial there. But uh, one one piece of news that came out that should excite and, and make uh, Missouri fans happy. Uh, and I know you saw this, uh, the fact that Gary Pinkle is being elected to the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he's going to go in with Andrew Locke, Rashawn Salam, LeVar Arrington, Champ Bailey, Michael Crabtree, Sylvester Croom, and Roy Williams, the Oklahoma receiver, uh, among others. Uh, Pinkle, the Missouri career wins leader with 118 wins, four conference championship games, 10 bowl appearances with the Tigers. He's also the career reader, career leader in wins at Toledo with 73. Um, definitely a well-deserved honor for Coach Pinkle, uh, something I think we all thought was going to happen at some point anyway. Uh, but it's nice to hear that uh, he's gotten the call, and uh, in December he will be enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame. So definitely a, a big-time congratulations to Coach Pinkle. Absolutely well-deserved. You know, he made – he made it fun to go to Columbia and watch the Tigers again. And that was, you know, he was kind of, you know, well, he wasn't kind of, he was the guy who brought Missouri football back because it was pretty bad. And it started when he brought Brad Smith in there. That was the beginning of it. And then led to Chase Daniel and Jeremy Macklin and all of those guys coming to Columbia and, you know, set the stage for what's going on with coach drink now. So yeah, very well deserved for Gary Pinkle. And he's still very involved in Columbia and uh, yeah. Congratulations coach. Yes, very big time. Congratulations. And once again, you can see, you know, how, how much influence he had on that as after he retired, uh, you know, this this program has really kind of hovered around 500. Yes, they, you got the SEC changeover as well. That's a part of that. But, um, you know, he, he did a lot for that Mizzou program. And he's been one of those guys that he still had his hands in it, but he's also let the guys that have been coaching there kind of do their thing where it's not, you know, sometimes you get those guys that are like, no, this is the way it gets done. Even though I'm not running it, this is the way it gets done. He, he's been hands-on, yet hands-off at the same time. He's really embraced Coach Drink as well, I believe. Um, and, and I think Coach Drink and, and, and Odin before him have really respected and, and talked to Coach Pinkle about his influence and what they can do as well. So it's nice to see that there's that camaraderie together. And hopefully that – uh, we're going to be able to see maybe maybe we're celebrating a uh, a duo Heisman Trophy winner, potential national championship berth and uh, Hall of Fame induction in December of 2022. That would be cool. That'd be cool. It might be rushing things just a little bit on a couple of those. But, you know, yeah, oh, well, let's just hope we have a good year. And we're talking about uh, a highly ranked Mizzou team. Let's, let's go with that. Small I will steps. take that. I will take that. All right, jumping over to hockey real quick. Uh, the Blues and COVID, yes, still hitting home with the Blues. Braden Shen and Colton Pareko have been added to the COVID protocol list as well, joining the likes of Vladimir Tarasenko, Jake Wallman, and Scott Perunovic, who were placed on the list back on January 6th. Now, those three guys, barring uh, them having any symptoms, are likely going to be able to play in the game against Seattle on Thursday, but as at this point in time, uh, there has been no word on if they are yet or not going to be able to play. All signs are pointing towards they probably are going to be available. But losing Shen and Pareko, uh, another blow for this team that has had to deal with injuries and COVID and not really having a healthy team for pretty much all year. I think they've only had this this team healthy, fully healthy, complement of players for about three games this year. You know, they sit here second place in the Central right now, coming off a big-time last-minute win against the Stars yesterday. A game they probably shouldn't have won, but did just enough to win um, and, and kept that uh, home point streak at uh, 12 games now, 11-0 and one in those last 12. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of that game yesterday. I watched the thing from start to finish. Um, the first period, good. Second period, bad. Third period, bad. Final minute, great. Uh, I, did you get a chance to catch any of that? I saw just a little bit of it. I was I had a bunch of stuff going on yesterday, but I was flipping back and forth. And so I saw bits and pieces of it. Yeah, so the, the Blues essentially had a power play late in that game. They were able to get Jordan Bennington off. Uh, a mad scramble pretty much in the entire star zone. Puck eventually finds its way out to Ryan O'Reilly, who who puts it past uh, the goaltender, Braden Holpe, to tie the game at one. Well, in that moment, as he was scoring that goal, or leading up to that goal, Jordan Cairo ends up getting slashed and a delayed penalty was called. So 
the Blues score, the delay penalty is enforced because there was still a penalty that was being enforced as well. So the, the goal negated the penalty that was already being enforced. The delay penalty ends up getting called. So the Stars go back on the penalty kill immediately after giving a goal up on the power play. And then Jordan Cairo, just 18 seconds later, banks a puck in off the defenseman and and uh, off of uh, the defenseman and basically gives the Blues the win. All that in the in the span of about 18 seconds. First time in Blues history that they've come back to win a game in regulation after trailing in the final minute of a game. Uh, it, it was just it was madness. Coach Rick Bonus from the Stars went wild with a stick on the bench. Didn't break the stick. A little little bit of a weak. Uh, slash there in my mind, if, if the way you see sticks break out on the ice, got a $25,000 fine for that reaction. Um, I, I, I would like to sit there and say that he was upset that his team blew that lead, but you know, it was, he didn't understand the rules. The fact that the, the penalty that was called, it was all called correctly. It was called correctly. Get over it. it the, the call was right. Right. Yeah. I, I did see that. I thought, well, yeah, I definitely saw him have a little meltdown there for a second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he really, really did. But once again, the Blues were able to win that game. They they beat the Capitals on Friday night. They got the Seattle Kraken coming in on Thursday. No, no, uh, Jaden Schwartz in that game. He is out due to an injury. He's having surgery. Uh, Vince Dunn has been out recently for the Kraken, so we may or may not see him as well. So you may have to wait until April to see your favorite former Blues players back here in the Seattle uniform. Uh, but I, I just gotta say, I mean, this team has been a very big surprise for me. Um, I think we. Expected this team to contend for a playoff spot. Um, I think we thought this team was going to have to deal with some adversity when it came to, you know, COVID. Every team was going to have to deal with it. Every team has had issues. I mean, the Capitals were here Friday night. They've had the same thing as the Blues, injuries and COVID issues. They haven't had a healthy team for the last two months as well. But with what this team has done in every facet of the game, offensive, defensive, goaltending, from the NHL down to the AHL, I'm hoping it's not a too early kind of peak in this sense, um, but th- this team is showing me something that I-, I was surprised that they had was that resiliency, that that push, that depth. That yes, we've talked about the depth, but to see it in action and to see it actually being successful, that's something that surprised me this year. And, and I hope it's not too much too soon, uh, but if this team gets healthy at the right time and Doug Armstrong is able to make a, a sneaky, good Doug Armstrong move at the deadline, which I don't necessarily think he has to. Um, I think there are some moves that could be made, but this is a really scary out for, for teams in the playoffs. And you got to remember Colorado hasn't gotten hot yet. Um, you know, you got a team like Nashville up at the top that I think a lot of people are still a little confused on why they're there. Um, team we haven't really seen yet this year, um, but th- this is a, this is a, a good thing for the blues and, and blues fans should be excited with what we've got going on right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we talked about not really sure what this team is going to be. And I think they've far exceeded expectations to this point, especially with all the injuries and the COVID and everything they've gone through. Um, I do. I got a question for you real quick because I'm going to steal this from one of the other local shows today. They were having a conversation. What are your thoughts on Jordan Bennington? Because the show that I was listening to, Two of the three hosts had him as probably in the lower third of goalies in the NHL, probably in the 20 to 25 range. They don't think he's very good and don't think he's been very good for the last two and a half years. Um, Your thoughts real quickly on Jordan Bennington. Oh, boy. Uh, This this is a tough one because I I see both sides of the coin. Um, Yeah, there are some saves and goals that he's allowed. That he 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 definitely should have you know saves he should have made goals he shouldn't have allowed. Um, he, he's definitely allowing more goals than I think a lot of us are comfortable with. But you also have to look at in some instances when those moments have happened. Um, a lack of defense, um, being just peppered with shots. I mean, you go back to that Pittsburgh game last week, and if not for Jordan Bennington, that game is an eight to three Pittsburgh victory. Uh, the the stops that he made early in the first period. Uh, even into the second period that kept the Blues in the game and in the lead at the time um, were phenomenal and and stuff that needed to be be made. He made saves against the Capitals. He made saves against, uh, you know, the Stars yesterday that you go, man, any other goalie that's going in, he has a fight and desire and a skill set to be a a great goaltender. Um, But 
I think he is just like every newer goaltender out there where he's going to have those moments where he's going to have a lapse and, and something's going to go in that you're like, man, that should not have gone in. I think that's just something you're seeing across the board in a lot of them. Uh, a lot of these younger goaltenders, just a little bit of a lackadaisical feel to them and a lackadaisical play. Um, I, I hear it from all the time. I've heard it in, in Philadelphia with Carter Hart. I've heard it in other cities with younger goaltenders where, oh, yeah, that, it, there's goals that he shouldn't be allowing. Why is he? It, it happens everywhere. But you look at it, and I, I'm, I'm going to sit there and say this flat out. I think Jordan Bennington is the goalie for the next two years. He, he definitely is the goalie for the next two years. I think Billy Huso has risen his has upped his game by far, and that's going to push Bennington to be even better because Bennington's just like a Jake Allen in a sense, where he needs that that one B to really push him to continue to be better. Um, you know, in in, year, in the last couple of years, you know, when Jake Allen left last year, um, and, and you brought in somebody that had no chance of being a number one goaltender. Well, Bennington suffered a little bit from that, and and I think now that Billy Huso is really pushing. Not necessarily pushing for the crease, but pushing to be a guy that gets more playing time. I think that's going to up Bennington's game for sure. And I think you're going to continue to see the best. And you also have to remember, Bennington's been out with COVID. Bennington's not played. I mean, he's only played, I think, four games the last month or so. So it's not like he's even in a rhythm. Goaltenders need rhythm. You know, they need shots. Not too many shots, but they need shots. So um, I, I'm, I'll just put it out there. I think Bennington is definitely the goalie for the Blues for the next at least two years. Um, maybe after that, it, it, it you change it up. But if you're able to get maybe another Stanley Cup run out of that in the next two years, I think you got to be happy with it. And then you just hope and pray that a guy like Hofer or Ellis really bursts onto the scene and, and, and takes hold of that mark. And then you either have a high price backup, which is a good thing, or you, you find a way to, to offload Bennington to a team that needs a veteran uh, presence in their locker room. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think he's the goalie for the, for now and for the next couple of years. I was surprised to hear, though, that Jake Allen's save percentage is actually higher than Jordan Bennington's since the bubble. That, that's just a little bit surprising. I mean, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm a guy who always liked Jake Allen, so I'm, Same. I'm not shocked. But, you know, Blues fans are never going to be happy with their goalie. I mean, that's been perpetual since Curtis Joseph left 20 years ago. Um well, how, anyway, how many really, how many fans how many fans are you hearing saying, "Man, I wish we had Jake Allen right now"? I'm sure you're hearing that. I'm sure people are out there saying, "Wow!" And, and just from your point exactly, that his save percentage is higher than Jordan Bennington's right now. I bet you you have a lot of people, especially in a certain lounge, that are that are clamoring. Oh, yeah, uh, why is Jake Allen not here anymore? Oh, I, I I know certain people. We both know certain people that are having a fit about Bennington, and you know, need we need a different goalie. Arr. But uh, yeah, you know, fans are never going to be happy, no matter yeah. what's going on. Real quick update: Alabama just kicked a field goal. Uh, it's thirteen to twelve with eleven minutes and thirty-four seconds left in this fourth quarter. This game is definitely being played at the pace and the score that Georgia is more comfortable with. This is it definitely favors Georgia the way this game has gone compared to the SEC championship game. Yeah, but if they uh, if they cannot protect Stinson Bennett, then uh, Alabama may end up taking hold of this one. He he's been running for his life for most of this game and. Um, now the one thing that you can say for Georgia is they have been able to get pressure on Bryce Young, uh, which is something they did not do in the SEC championship game. And that's, I think one of the big reasons why this game is close. And then you also look at Jamison Williams, who is out of this game as well. Uh, if you guys were watching the game earlier in that first half, his knee, there was something in his knee that snapped. And that's yeah. a scary, scary thing. The local St. Louis product, um, he was having a great season and, and looking to, to be a guy that, uh, was going to rocket up some draft boards, but you just hope and pray that uh, that he's okay uh, and that maybe it's just a sprain more than anything else and he can work himself back into uh, good shape. Uh, but he is out, and that's definitely been something that's affected this Alabama offense as well. And, you know, we got some questions around the Stinson-Bennett uh, play here. Might be a, a potential fumble, uh, but if that's the case, um, I'm not sure if, if Alabama got a clear recovery or not on this. Um, I'm actually, I think we're going to stick with you guys through this, this, uh, review real quick, just to see if we can give you a little bit of a, a better understanding, uh, because that could be, that could be the game right there. If Alabama somehow is able to recover this so-called fumble potentially, although his arm is going forward. Yeah. I don't know how that's a fumble. I don't either. Uh, but it, it is Alabama and, uh, well, <laughs> you never know. 
Uh, that's how that's how things work in this uh, in this day and age, it seems like. But as we're continuing to watch this and, and see what the uh, the review is, like I said, I still don't know if I saw a clear recovery by Alabama. So even if that's the case, right? Then Georgia would still have the ball even if that ball was out uh, out of play. Um, so we'll see how this this ends up playing out. I, gut reaction: it's no fumble, and, and Georgia's going to get the ball back. But if it goes to Alabama, is this game over? It's going to be close. It will definitely be. Uh, it will definitely be an uphill battle for Georgia if that is the oh, case. Oh, now that view just said that view right there. Oh man, if this is a fumble, I think Alabama's got it because there's uh, a little bit of green. There is some this, green there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, if it's oh. a fumble, I think you're right. I think I'm still not sure that was a fumble though. I don't think it's a fumble either, but the, the the way that they're showing that replay and that replay alone right now makes me think they've already determined it's a fumble and that they're looking to see if he made clear possession, clear recovery and possession before touching out of bounds. Now, from that angle, from there, it looks like his toes on the line. Yeah, but once again, though, the overhead. Oh, my I goodness. Know. They didn't rule it on the. They see. Here's the thing, though. They did rule it on the field. It was a fumble. Yeah. So they rule. So now you have to have clear evidence that it's not a fumble. <clears throat> if that's they even what they're safe. looking at. Yeah, and they are definitely taking their time here. <coughs> while well, we, like I said, while we have. Yeah, go sorry, ahead. While we have a minute, just a quick update. Did you see that the Major League Baseball owners are prepared are preparing to at least give the uh, Players Association their first uh, contract negotiation settlement within the next two weeks, which I think is a good thing because if we get that within two weeks, we're talking mid-January, mid then the players have a chance to counter-proposal, and then hopefully we have a couple of counter-proposals by the 1st of February, and we're actually moving in a positive direction. I mean, I hope that's the case. Um, the fact that, that you're going to basically have proposals going out with no talks going on between the two sides, that, that worries me a little bit. But I also okay. feel like, oh, here's the call. Hang on. Alabama football, on the, oh, wow. They, uh, they allowed that, that play to stand. That was a fumble and a recovery by Alabama. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That was close. I, I'm still not 100% sure that his arm wasn't going forward there, but uh, it, it was really close. It was really very close. That was. Well, uh, with, with that being said, uh, I think you and I are both going to stand by and go watch this game and see if Alabama can win this game or see if Georgia can turn the tide once again and, and win this game uh, going away. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, eventful night here on the show. Uh, we want to thank you guys for joining us. You got anything else before we head out of here, Scott? Oh, that's it. Everybody enjoy the last 11 minutes of this game. Yeah, that certainly, certainly do. All right, I'm Scott. I am Wax. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'll see you guys in the near future. Have a great night. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.